my. Again, open your Bibles up to the book of Nahum. Nahum means comfort. Comfort. But in this prophecy, there's no comfort for the city of Nineveh. It's a prophecy against Nineveh. Let's read in chapter 2, in verses 1 to 13. Do you know that the scriptures declare here that the Lord was against Nineveh? Now, Nineveh, there had been a great revival in Nineveh, hadn't there? When Jonah was sent there, there had been a great revival. But years later, they'd gone back to their idol worshiping. And we're going to see here that the Lord says he's against them. He's against them. Nahum chapter 2 verse 1. He that dasheth in pieces has come up before thy face. Keep the munition which the way make thy loins strong. Fortify thy power mightily. For the Lord, well, that's Jehovah, hath turned away the excellency of Jacob as the excellency of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied them out and marred their vine branches. The shield of the mighty man is made red. War. The valiant men are in scarlet, covered in blood. Chariots shall be with flaming torches in the day of his preparation. And the fir trees shall be terribly shaken. The chariots rage in the streets. They shall jostle one against another in the broad ways. They seem like torches. They shall run like the lightning. He shall recount his worthies. They shall stumble in their walk. They shall make haste to the wall thereof, and the defense shall be prepared. The gates of the rivers shall be opened, and the palaces shall be dissolved. And Hezab shall be led away captive. She shall be bought up, and her maids shall lead her with the voice of doves tabering upon their breasts. But Nineveh is of old, like a pool of water, yet they shall flee away. Stand, stand, shall they cry, but none shall look back. Take ye the spoil of silver, take the spoil of gold, for there is none end of the store and the glory out of all the pleasant furniture. She is empty and void and waste. And the heart melteth, and the knees smite together, and much pain is on all her loins, and the faces of them all gather blackness. Now she's been ravished. The city's been ravished. The city's been taken by war. Where is the dwelling of the lions and the feeding place of the young lions? Where the lion, even the old lion, walked, and the lions whelp, and none made them afraid. The lion did tear in pieces enough for his whelps and strangled his lioness and filled the holes with prey and the dens with ribbon. Here we go. Here's verse 13. Here's our text. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts. I'm against thee. And I will burn her chariots and in her smoke and the sword shall devour thy young lions and I will cut off thy prey from the earth. And the voice of the messenger shall no more be heard. 
my. The Lord says here, Behold, I am against thee. What a terrifying verse. The Lord of glory against them. Can anyone stand up against the Lord? No one. No one. My. Nineveh was a great city of evil at one time. In Genesis chapter 10, it says, And Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. And he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is, it is said, Even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, in the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, in Iraq, in Ashkod, in Kalna, in the land of Sinner. Out of the land went forth Asar and builded Nineveh. Genesis 10, verses 8 to 11. Nineveh was a prosperous city. Very prosperous city in the ancient world. We see in chapter 1, it says here, the book, the burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Echosite. What does the burden of Nineveh mean? If you, if you look in chapter 1, in verse 1, it says the burden of Nineveh. The burden of Nineveh. What does that mean? Well, she, she repented once, didn't she? She repented once, but she's returned to her wicked ways again. And that burden is that this city will now be totally destroyed. It'll now be totally destroyed. And this book was written around 100 years after their repentance in Jonah. It was one of the world's largest cities at the time. The inner city was surrounded by a wall eight miles long. Eight miles long. A hundred feet high. Could you imagine an army coming up and seeing this, this wall a hundred feet high? Now to man, that's insurmountable, right? And they say the walls were so wide that you could run three chariots around it. They could race around the walls. That's how thick, how wide they were. A hundred feet wide and enough to run three chariots on those walls. Now man would look at that and go, how? Just, just walk away, right? But for God to destroy that city, it's nothing. See, man builds up all their foundation of lies, right? All their foundational lies. I did this to gain merit and favor with God. I did that. All these things, all these bulwarks. And God just lays them bare. Doesn't he? Just takes them down to nothing. My so at the time, it was the world's, one of the world's largest cities. And beyond the outer wall was an inner city. An outer city as well. And what we would call extensive suburbs. So there was multiple walls. And they would be like suburbs, like we call them suburbs, living around the city. The expanse was so 
big of this city that in Jonah chapter 3, 3, it says, So Jonah rose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. It took you three days of walking to get from one end of Nineveh to the other end. And wide, too. It was huge. It was a huge city. And when Jonah got there, it was a city given over to idolatry, wasn't it? And then the Lord did a mighty work. And now we see a hundred years later, they're back to their idol worshiping. See, God doesn't guarantee that our children will be saved, does he? No. He saved us. And we praise God when he does save our children. We praise God, but it's not a guarantee, is it? Oh, my. It's all by the grace and mercy of God. All by the grace and mercy of God. If you're saved here, if you're sitting today and you're a saved person, it's all by the grace and mercy of God. God's had mercy on us. You know, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. One professor of old said that the vast city is estimated to be 216 square miles in size. That's huge. That's like our cities nowadays. Huge. And this prophecy is about the fall of Nineveh. In verse 1 and 2, we see the vengeance of the offended true and living God. He that dashes in pieces has come. Well, actually, look at verse 2 of chapter 1. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. See, that's why the scripture says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We're not to seek vengeance. The Lord will take care of it. He'll take care of it. And, and we can have comfort in that, can't we? We can find comfort in that. So Nineveh, as mighty as it was, was about to be destroyed. People say, well, how can God do that? How did the walls of Jericho fall? By a word. By his command. One angel. He sends one angel to kill the 185,000 Assyrians in one night. One angel. What power he wields, our God. And that was one of his servants that did that. That was an angel that did it. Imagine if the Lord himself, he could take the breath out of everyone living on this earth, couldn't he? He has so much power. And yet people think, I don't believe in him. My. My. As mighty as Nineveh was, it was about to be completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. And so total was the destruction that not only were the people lost from history, but the city itself was non-existent until it was discovered by, by archaeologists in the 1800s. God just wiped it off the face of the map. My, oh my. Go over the chapter 3 and look at verse 11. 
and it's brought forth that Nineveh shall be hid. Again, it was only rediscovered in the 1800s. Look at this. Thou, shalt, thou also shalt be drunken, thou shalt be hid. Look at that. He, God said, I'm going to so destroy, it's going to be hid. And it was hid until the 1800s. Thou, shalt, thou also shalt seek strength because of the enemy. And the Lord used the armies of the Persians, the Medes, the Arabians, and the Babylonians to utterly subdue this city. Over in chapter 1, verse 8, it talks about this as being, being as an overwhelming flood. Look at this. But with an overwhelming flood will he make another end of the place. Thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. Utter destruction. Utter destruction. And even those great armies could not have taken Nineveh unless the Lord allowed. Always remember that. If God didn't allow it to happen, it never would have happened. He allowed them to destroy Nineveh. See, God uses means, doesn't he? Oh, my. And according to secular accounts, unusually heavy rains caused the rivers to flood and undermine the city walls. Which in chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But with an overwhelming flood shall he make another end of the place. A flood happened and undermined the walls. Couldn't get over them, but now they could get under them. My, oh my, behold the mighty, the mighty power and hand of our great God. The walls were a hundred feet high, eight miles long, and so wide that three chariots could race abreast it. How much water would it take? How much water would it take to destroy the foundation that was underneath them? Take a lot of water, wouldn't it? My, oh my. And as the walls began to break up, the king remembered an oracle to the effect that Nineveh would only fall when the river itself declared war against it. See, they couldn't have taken the city without this happening. And God had it come to pass. Now they could get into the city. Now they could ravage the city. The king abandoned all hope of saving himself and he had built for him a huge funeral pyre, heaped up large quantities of gold and costly clothes and shut his concubines and, and eunuchs in the chamber in the midst and burned himself, his family, and his concubines and eunuchs in the place when this all was occurring. Awful. Awful what men will do. What the depravity of man will cause man to do. And there was unparalleled looting. It was reported that the slaughter was so great that the blood of the multitude of slain mingled with the rivers and changed its color for miles. There was so much blood. Unparalleled looting for centuries. The wealth of the world had poured into Nineveh. The wealth of the world. 
as a result of the Assyrian conquest. And one historian said they plundered the spoil of the city, a quantity beyond counting. They took so much, there was nothing left. They plundered it so much. And the great host of the enemy had silver, gold, copper, ivory, all precious materials. This is described in, in verses 8 to 10 of chapter 2. Let's turn there. It says, but Nineveh is of old like a pool of water. They shall flee away. Stand, stand, shall they cry, but none shall look back. Take ye the spoil of silver. Take the spoil of gold, for there is none end to the store and glory out of all the pleasant furniture. She is empty and void and waste. And the heart melteth and the knees smite together. And much pain is in all loins. And the faces of them all gather blackness. My. See, when judgment falls, it falls quick. It falls quick. And the enemies plundered all the silver, gold, all the wealth of this great city. She's pillaged, she's plundered, she's stripped of everything. Could you imagine how the citizens felt as they were led, carried out away in captivity, how their hearts would, would be grieved over that just great destruction of their city, and how they would tremble in fear over their enemies. Now one may ask, what caused all this? Well, we find the answer in the last verse in chapter 2. It says, Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts. My, that's chilling. The whole cause of this destruction, the whole cause of this destruction was because the Lord was against them. Now think of this. Our Lord not only speaks these words to all who were in Nineveh, but he seeks them to all who sin against him. These are words are to all in Almont, Michigan. In all the surrounding towns. Whose sins have not been washed away in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where's deliverance to be found? Oh, here's the good news. Deliverance is to be found at the cross. Deliverance is to be found in the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all the sins of his people. God poured out his wrath. Just as his wrath was poured out on Nineveh, God poured out his wrath on Christ. That wrath that was due us, he poured it fully out on Christ. And he bore it all, beloved. He bore it all. So much so that God doesn't remember our sin anymore. It's gone. It's washed clean in the precious blood of Christ. We stand beneath the cross. We stand at, we, we actually sit at Christ's feet. 
we stand and he stands before us and all the judgments of God fall upon him in our room and place. What a savior. What a redeemer. And these people of Nineveh, they died such violent deaths. But you know what? They faced a much more terrifying, a much more terrifying situation after their deaths. And that's true for all who die without Christ. The scripture declares it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And it doesn't matter, it does not make any difference what death you are appointed to in this life, but it does make a great difference whether or not you're appointed to that judgment. That judgment. I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts. He's going to say one thing or the other. He's going to say, I'm against thee. Or he's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my rest. And the only reason we are going to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, is because of what Christ did for us. Isn't that amazing? It's counted for us. It's counted for us, beloved by the mercy and grace of God. So I ask you, have you bowed to the Lord Jesus? Have you cried out to him and said, Lord, save me or I die? Save me or I die? If one does not bow to him here, they're going to bow to him at the great white judgment throne. People say, I don't believe in God. Well, you're going to meet him. And I pray you meet him as a savior, not as your judge. That's my prayer. If one does not bow to him here, they're going to bow to him at the great white judgment. Look at verse 13 again. Nahum chapter 2, verse 13. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will burn her chariots in the smoke, and the sword shall devour thy young lions, and I will cut off thy prey from the earth, and the voice of thy messengers shall be no more, no, shall no more be heard. My, what an awful statement to hear if you're not delivered from your sins. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord. Do you know the only one that made us to differ is God himself? From us here in that statement as believers? Is the grace and mercy of God, that's the only thing that makes us to differ. It's incredible to think that God would have mercy on us. Why? Well, as we looked at in Sunday school, because we're the children of promise. <laughs> and we always have been. We didn't know it, but we always have been. You know, God's not ordained us to wrath as believers. Isn't that incredible? That's what the scripture says. He's not ordained us to wrath, but to salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely wonderful. My, could you imagine hearing these words though? I am against thee, saith the Lord. What chilling words. What chilling words. 
And then comes the wrath, the eternal wrath of God. Listen to the psalmist cry in, in Psalm 31, verses 1 and 2. He says, Deliver me in thy righteousness. O Lord, deliver me in thy righteousness. Who's his righteousness? The Lord Jesus Christ. So the psalmist is crying, Deliver me. Deliver me in Christ. Who do the Old Testament saints look to? The Messiah. Who do we look to? The Messiah. Right? The Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate in the flesh. Isn't it wonderful? It's absolutely wonderful. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to hear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for a house of defense to save me. Christ is our defense, isn't he? He's protected us from the wrath of God. He bore it all. You you hear about soldiers throwing themselves on a hand grenade for their buddies and giving their life given their life. Greater love hath no man than this, though. The eternal wrath of God fell upon our Savior, the sinless one. Think of this. He's sinless. We're a bunch of sinners. And the eternal wrath of God that was due us fell on him in our room and place. His love is so great for us, so majestic, so so unmeasurable. And the great need of sinners is to be reconciled to God, right? And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things to himself and you who were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. We're reconciled to God. By absolutely nothing we did. All by what Christ has done. All by what he's done. The grace of God brings salvation. Oh, it brings salvation. Being justified freely by his grace. Remember justified, rendered innocent? Tom, you guys were talking about how we're made that way. By God. And there's a work to do that. And that's the work of God. We're, we're born again by an operation of God. My. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, redemption is only in Christ. Salvation is only in Christ. To be saved from our sins, we must look to Christ and him alone. There's no other hope. There's no other way. No other way at all. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And we've tasted that mercy, haven't we, beloved? God's so merciful to us. So wonderful to us. And think of this. We don't seek grace out. God brings it to us. Were you looking for Christ when he came to you? Oh, he made us willing, didn't he? And then we looked at him. But before that, were we looking for Christ? Not at all, were we? We could have been raised in the church and heard the gospel. Had no effect on us until one day, that appointed time, 
You're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. Given life. Now that message is real. Now you hear the shepherd's voice through the preaching of the word. My, oh my. I ask you, you who do not know Christ, do you want to be complete and have all your sins forgiven? And I want us to think of this as believers. We're complete in him. And just let that sit. We're complete in Christ. And we know what complete is, don't we? Can you add anything to complete? Rejoice, beloved. We're complete in him. We're complete in his perfect sin atoning work. The hardest thing for us to do, as Sister Linda was saying, is just rest in that. Just, just trust in that. That's why Peter said, Lord, help my unbelief. Do we not say that too? Lord, help my unbelief. Help me. Give me faith and grace. And you know what? I'm always amazed as I talk to the saints of God. As I talk to them and they look back and they say, Wayne, I look back at that now and I see how God just carried me right through that. He gave me the strength. He gave me the strength. He gave me the peace that passes all this strength just when I needed it. He gave me the grace that I needed to get through that situation. Don't take that lightly, beloved. Look back at that and marvel. Marvel at that. We couldn't have made it through the situations that we go through in this life without God. So the grace of God comes to us. It brings salvation to us. And that salvation is in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are complete in him. In Christ, the believers fulfilled all the law. Now think of that. Think of that. I was talking to someone about the Mosaic law. They asked, well, when did God give the Mosaic law? Well, it was right after he gave the Ten Commandments, right? So if someone wants to live by the law, they've got to keep all the, the Ten Commandments plus all the Mosaic law. But well, we can't do any of it. And we don't want to, we, we look at the Ten Commandments and say, well, yeah, we, we shouldn't lie, right? We shouldn't bear false witness against one another. We shouldn't kill. We shouldn't commit adultery, right? All those, and we don't want to, do we? We don't want to as believers. But when the Lord spiritualized the law and said, if you're just angry with your brother, you already killed him. Well, we're all done, aren't we? Every one of us. Is there anyone in this room that doesn't get angry? Huh? Even now, after we're saved, do you ever get angry? Praise God, it's covered under the blood. Hey? Okay. Oh, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. I'll pass over you, beloved. My. Now, if one sincerely desires grace, it'll come. You know why? I always get excited when I see someone, when I see someone get an interest in, in, in our great God. A true interest, too. When you start to see them, start to see them slowly start to 
Hey, I want to read the Bible. Hey, I want to do this. Or I want to start listening to a message here and there. I always get excited because it's God that's given them that desire. And you just pray that the Lord will make it fruitful. Right? Just pray that it'll, that, that seed has found good soil. And if God's planted that seed, it'll be good soil. But there are some that fall on stony ground. Thorns. And the cares of this world choke it away, right? But praise God for the seed that falls on good ground. You know what that good ground is? You know what that good ground is? That good ground is prepared ground. It's prepared ground. It's already prepared. That ground's already prepared before the, before the seed even falls. Brother Neil, Brother Neil, you plow your fields and everything before you plant and all that. You get the, you get the, you get the field all ready for whatever seed you're going to plant. And then you plant the seed and God gives the increase. See, God the Holy Spirit prepares the ground. Before we even hear the word. He's prepared the ground, the soil of our hearts, beloved. So when that seed comes at the appointed time that God's appointed for us to be born again, that seed falls on good ground. And God gives the increase. Isn't that wonderful? I remember when I was in, we, we were working in construction, our builder would buy plots of land. So you just see this field, just a, just a field, Empty field. And all of a sudden, you start to see these signs. And um, ours was Whittle Construction, the fellow who uh, we worked for Whittle. And so they had a sign there. Whittle Construction, and another one had another sign here for another. Con- but that property was Carrick's. And then next thing you know, you start to see, well, here comes the dozers. And the diggers. And they start digging that ground. And they, dig, they prepare that ground. Right? And here comes the concrete guys. And they lay the foundation. And here comes the framers. And they frame it up. And here come the drywall guys and the roofers. And next thing you know, about, about three weeks later, everything's done and they're working inside. See, God prepares. God prepares the soil of our hearts to receive that word. Isn't that wonderful? And he purchased us, didn't he? Just as that builder I worked for purchased that land out of all the other land. There was a whole bunch of, whole field of land, but he said, I want this plot right here. That's mine. That's mine. God says, you're mine. You're mine. My son, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send my son to purchase you. 2,000 years ago, our Lord, our great God sent his son the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God, to purchase us with His precious, precious blood. And because we're, because we're children, because we're the elect of God, God sends His Spirit into our hearts. See? The prepared ground. You're mine. It's my property. Tills the soil of our hearts. We hear the Word. We might have heard the Word a week before and had no effect on us. No effect at all. And then now, could be driving down the road. Could be driving down the road, right? 
Lord quickened you just like that when you heard the message. That happened to one of our brothers here. I believe. <laughs> I believe. Isn't that wonderful? You'd be at home thinking about the message. Holy Spirit just quickened you. I believe. Oh, isn't it good? Isn't God so gracious to us? Isn't he so merciful to us? That the judgment doesn't fall upon us? That he's not against us? But you know what? He's actually for us. And the scriptures say, if God be for you, who can be against you? Right? He's not against us. He's not up there going, oh, when you messed up on Thursday and you messed up on Friday and you really messed up on Saturday. And man, Sunday, you did. Oh, my. No, God don't do that, does he? He says, there's one of my sheep. He's clothed in my son's righteousness. And I don't see his sin anymore. Or there's one of my dear... There's one of my dear little sisters, little sheep. She's clothed in the righteousness of Christ. She's mine. I made her and I bought her. I'm going to take her home. I'm going to take him home too. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, it's so wonderful. I'll tell you what. It just, it just gets better and better. And we're complete in Christ. We're complete in him. The law of God now has no terror for us. Because, <coughs> because God's wrath against sin has been satisfied. You know, it's been absolutely satisfied. One commentator I, I, I read, and then I, I actually got to hear him, got to hear him preach one time. He, and I love this. Yeah, you've heard me use it before. God has so <coughs> forgiven us for all our sins that there's not even smoke coming off the offering anymore. You know, when they burnt an offering, there'd be smoke rise up. The wrath of God against us has been so extinguished that it's like a fire that has no smoke. It's gone. It's, 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 it's absolute. There's not even a... Because sometimes you go buy a house that was on fire and you see smoke still, even after they put water on it. See smoke still. There was no smoke. His wrath being totally extinguished. It's gone. It's gone against us. And that's why the love of Christ, the love of the Father is so amazing to us. It's not at all. It's not at all like the love our fathers had for us. God's ways are not our ways. And our fathers and our mothers love us dearly. But this love is so different. This love is eternal. This love is unchanging. This love no, has no depths to it. No depths. Do you know God loves you as much as he loves Christ? Let's look at that. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I'll tell you what. Praise God. He's not against us. Praise God. He's not against us. That his wrath has been appeased in Christ. My, oh my. 
Let's start up in um, verse 20. Our Lord here is going to, he's, he's praying. He's, he's prayed for himself in the first, um, first five verses. Then he's prayed for the apostles from verse 6 to 19. And now he's going to pray for the elect, for all who will believe on him. And that's us too. Think of this. This prayer occurred 2,000 years ago, and the Holy Spirit has kept it, preserved it, right? So that we can read it. Now, as we read these words, remember that this portion here is speaking of us. Speaking of we who believe from what the apostles preached. See, the gospel that we believe is the same gospel that, that Paul preached, the same gospel that John preached, the same gospel that Peter preached. Look at this. Neither pray I for these alone, that's speaking of the apostles, but them, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, through the preaching of the gospel. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, and that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. In the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, look at verse 23, here's the key. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. That's one body. Perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them. Okay, now, hold on. Oh. love them. Who's it speaking of? God's elect. Now, now buckle in, buckle in. Has loved them as thou hast loved me. God the Father loves we who are his people as he loves Christ. Why? Because he's the head, we're the body. We're one with him, you see? We keep, we, it, it's so hard for us to grasp this, really, this, this unchanging love. This is the master's words. This is God in the flesh saying this. And he's telling us here that God the Father has loved us as he's loved Christ. That's truth. And he says, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me, from before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father. What a title. Holy, righteous is our God. Oh, righteous Father. The world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. Now look at verse 25. Verse 25 is very interesting. Look at this. Oh, righteous Father. Now he's going to name two parties in this verse here. He says, The world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. See, see, there's the world, there's Christ, and then there's his elect. Who's in the middle? Who's the one made us to differ? Christ. There's a division there, he says. The world, himself, and his people. The world doesn't know him. But we know him by the grace of God. And we know now that God's not against us. We know that, don't we? We've been taught that by the Holy Spirit of God. 
See, the, the first part of this message is pretty sobering. But the last part brings us comfort as God's people. Not only are we loved by God the Father as he loves Christ, but the only one who made us to differ is the one in the middle, being Christ. The only reason we're saved is because of what Christ has done for us. And it says, And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it in, in that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Again, you've heard me say many times, the one thing Satan can't counterfeit is the love of God in Christ in the believer. He can counterfeit a lot of things, but he can't counterfeit that love because it comes from God. It doesn't come from us. And really, even our works don't come from, from us. It comes from the Holy Spirit of God. It's him working in us. See? Even those works we looked at that God has ordained from before the foundation of the world in Sunday school for us to do, they're all done in us by the Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that amazing? So who gets the glory? God gets it all. He gets it all. He gets all the glory and honor and